Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The basis for our message today is the gospel lesson read earlier, Jesus at the dinner led, or offered by the ruler of the Pharisees. Well, John Kenneth Galbraith was an advisor to President Johnson. And one day he was having a really rough morning. He went home and he was tired. So he tells his housekeeper, Emily, I'm going to take a nap. Don't let me be disturbed by anyone. No phone calls. So he lays down. And of course, a little while later, President Johnson calls. And then Emily takes the phone call, and he says, I want to speak to Galbraith. And she said, no, he's sleeping, Mr. President, and I'm not supposed to disturb him. And President Johnson was rather perturbed. He says, well, wake him up. I want to talk to him. And Emily responded, no, Mr. President, I work for him, not you. <laughs> A little while later, when Galbraith called President Johnson, returning the call, he could hardly uh, control his enthusiasm. He said, can I get her to work in my office? <laughs> Emily knew who she worked for and what was expected. And she followed through. It's interesting for us as children of God that we sometimes, I think, lose perspective on who it is that we serve. And we can even lose perspective on what it is that we're called to do. And we see that very clearly with the Pharisees, especially in our lesson for today. We're seeing that the Pharisees are looking for something. They're looking for and watching for God's, uh, people to obey God's law. But do they really understand what it is that God desires? Jesus is going to point out to them throughout this event that they don't. And it serves as a reminder to you and to me. We're reminded today that we serve a Lord that loves us, who died for us, who rose for us. And we're reminded what this Lord desires of us. And what we're going to do is we're going to go back over the whole gospel lesson. We're going to go down verse by verse and, and see what it is that the Lord calls upon us to do or how Jesus handles this with the Pharisees. And so we start at verse 1. One Sabbath when Jesus was, went to dine with the house of the ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. Notice how quickly Luke points out that the Pharisees were watching him. What do you think they're watching him for? They're watching to see if he's going to keep the law. You see, they have in their mind, they know what God is looking for. God is looking for obedience. And they have an idea of what that obedience looks like. They've even constructed a whole cadre of laws to make sure that God's law is kept. And so what they're really looking for is for others to follow their idea of the law. Their laws. What they're really looking for is someone to be like them. That is their desire. And they have the idea of what is right and what is wrong, and they're looking for others to follow their view of right and wrong. Now, now think for a moment. These are watching, people watching other people. Do you ever people watch? Do you ever observe others, how they're behaving? Do you ever make judgments on what you see? What's the basis for your judgment? Do you judge their actions? Are they, are they acting the way that you would have them act? or what you think they should do? Do you judge their appearance? Do you notice tattoos or piercings or the color of hair? Do you judge based on your preference for these things? Do you judge how they speak? Do they use good grammar? Do they use profanity? Do they, they talk properly? What is the basis for your judgment and assessment? And I'd like to challenge you, is that basis of assessment what you find within the scriptures or the things that you like and you prefer? 
Isn't it easy to fall in the trap of the Pharisees, right? To judge people on the things that we like and that we think are right. But we continue. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Clearly, Jesus knows that they are listening or watching him. And so, notice it said, even responded. The lawyers hadn't said anything. He's responding to their watching of him. And he's really setting before them a challenge. He's challenging their idea that they know what God desires. Because this is really a dilemma that they put forward to him, right? Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Because according to the rules that they come up with, their idea of keeping the Sabbath is to have absolutely no activity. Well, is that what God really said? But they also know from the scriptures that God is a gracious God, a compassionate God. So to heal would be compassionate, would be to show mercy. So, so which is it? Which of those dynamics are you going to follow? Isn't Jesus trying to point out that their idea of what God is looking for isn't right? He wants them to rethink what it is that God truly desires from them and from others. And so we continue on. But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. He said to them, Which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these. They can't answer Jesus' challenge, can they? They're silent when he puts the challenge before them. They're silent after he heals. But Jesus does address what God is looking for, right? God is looking for mercy. We hear that throughout the Old Testament. If you read through the prophets and their condemnation of the people of God in Jerusalem and Israel, in the northern kingdom, in the southern kingdom, time and time and again, it's because they have turned away from the God and they have not shown mercy. They had taken advantage of the poor and those who were the widowed and, and those who were in need. Time and time again, they did not show the mercy that God had shown them. And that's why they're condemned. And Jesus is again demonstrating this is what God desires. He desires his people to show mercy. And in doing so, Jesus is really setting the stage for what he came to do. He came to show mercy. And he does it again and again and again throughout his ministry. And all of these points of mercy, every time there's a healing miracle like this, it's pointing to what? It's pointing to the cross, his death and his resurrection. The greatest symbol of mercy, that God, who is above all, would give up his life for those who don't deserve it. And that he would rise from the dead and offer eternal life to all people who would believe in him. He came to show mercy. He came to demonstrate that he had the power over, over sin. And in healing, he shows he has the power not only of sin in the grave, but the consequences of sin, such as illness and sickness. This is a clear call to the Pharisees to be merciful. This is what you are to look for. And it's a clear call to you and to me that we are to be merciful. But now the last gospel lesson takes a turn. Right now, this first, it's almost like there's two sections here. Well, well three. But the last two sections really parallel one another. But, but again, the next verse is a transition from the focus on mercy to add to that something else that God is looking for. Humility. Pick it up in verse 7. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he had noticed how they had chosen the places of honor, saying to them. So, Jesus turns the table. Isn't it interesting? The first verse we read, the Pharisees are watching Jesus. Well, what's Jesus been doing? 
watching them, right? In response to what he sees, he has a teaching for them. And he is going to talk to them about the way that they choose their places of honor. He's saying that I did not see what the Lord would want to see. You're watching me to see whether I kept the law. I've been watching you. Are you keeping the law? Are you doing what God expects? Are you doing what God would have you do? And he didn't see what God wanted to see. He's going to tell them what it is that the Lord looks for. Not only does the Lord look for mercy, but he looks for humility. And that's where we're going to go next. Though we're going to do this a little bit different. Because this last section of the gospel lesson really is two parallel things going on. There's a parable that is spoken to the guests. And then there's a word that is spoken to the host. Both talk about mercy. And I want to read these together. First verses 8 to 10. When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And when you who, he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited to go and sit in the lowest place, and so when your host comes that he may say to you, friend, move up higher, then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. A clear statement of humility, right? Now listen to what he says to the host. He said also to the man who invited him, When you have given a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Notice also the mention of humility. That, that, that there is a parallel here. Not only does God desire mercy, but he also desires humility. The two go hand in hand. Whether guest or host, he tells the guest, don't assume the places of honor. And he's really trying to rethink the idea of honor. Honor isn't something you take upon yourself. Honor and glory is something that is bestowed upon you. Don't come in and take a place of honor. Receive the honor that is given you when the host places it upon you. Humble yourselves to receive it. And when you're inviting people, when you're the host, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. In telling the ruler of the Pharisees to invite these people, he's telling them to invite the unclean. To take a risk. Risk your social standing by showing mercy to others. In humility, invite those who are unworthy. And isn't this informative also for us as well? Obviously, Jesus isn't just speaking about next time you get a wedding invitation. He is talking about how we are to live in humility and mercy. We are to be humble. And it's difficult in our world. Our sinful, our sin by its nature turns us inward. And boy, our society really builds on that, doesn't it? In our world, the focus is on ourself. And that's one of the biggest struggles we have in this world, Right? Um, think about how society revolves around the idea that you are important. Social media feeds this, right? For all the good that social media does, doesn't it kind of feed that idea that, that we are really important? Everybody in the world needs to know what we think about this issue or that issue, or at least what you had for dinner last night. We, we, we really focus in on ourselves, right? But I also think this, this focus on self shows itself even in a worse way. Think about the divisions that we have in families, in communities, and in our nation. 
It's tied to our self-focus, right? We're so turned in on ourselves that we think we have all the answers, that we are right. So focused in on think, putting ourselves above others that we really don't even want to listen to the other side. And that's one of the biggest problems we have. No one's listening to one another. And, and why? Well, I don't have to listen to them because I already know what's right. Isn't that a humility issue? It, doesn't it take real humility to sit and listen to others, and especially to listen to someone that you do not agree with? This self-focus, this lack of humility, exasperates all sorts of problems in our sinful world. And the Lord is calling upon you to be humble. He's calling upon you to not to look upon one another, your family, your friends, your community, and realize that we are all the same before the Lord. We are all sinners, desperate for God's love and forgiveness. None of us deserving of it, but God desiring to give it to us all. And the answer for all this actually comes in, again, parallel things that he says to the guests and the hosts. He says to the guests, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And, you will, and then he says to the host, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, and you will be repaid in the resurrection of the just. You are free to show mercy. You are free to show humility because your glory, your reward, isn't dependent on you. It's not based on what you, done, you have done or what you can do. You don't earn God's favor by your humility. You don't earn God's favor by your mercy. You receive God's mercy. You see his humility. And filled with his love, you are able to share it with others. Because God has indeed shown humility to you. He went to the cross for you. He died for you. He rose for you. He humbly came to you today and again reminded that you are forgiven. Regardless of the sins you've committed this past week, regardless of what went on, your highs, your lows, you belong to him. Whether you deserve it or not, and none of us deserve it, you belong to him. He has forgiven you. You are his. You have received his mercy and his humility. And now you can go forward. You can go forward secure. You don't have to worry about exalting yourself. The Lord exalts you. The heaven is a banquet feast and there is a place of honor for you already. You're part of the victory parade, the victory party, the victory banquet. And you've already received the benefits of that victory. You've already received his glory. You're united to the Christ who is above all through the waters of baptism. You don't need the accolades and praise of this world. You have it from the Lord. You have his glory. And you don't have to earn a reward. Your reward is already secure. It's been earned for you. You have the gift of eternal life. It is yours. It has been earned by Christ for you. You already have his forgiveness, his love, his peace. What more can you want to earn? What more is there to earn? It is what God has given you. Again, as we conclude, we don't have to look very hard for what God desires. Just look at Christ, right? We see in Christ what? The humility of the triune God, the second person of the Trinity becoming man, suffering and dying for you, for your life and salvation. You see his mercy, that he rose for you, that he gives you life. God's desire is that you simply receive this mercy with thanksgiving, and you humbly share that mercy with others. God simply calls upon you to look at what God has done and to share it with those around. That is God's desire. 
because God has already made you secure in his kingdom now and forever. Amen. Now the peace of God which surpasses all human understanding guide our hearts and minds to true faith, life everlasting.